Revelation chapter number one. And Russ, if that sign-up sheet's moving that fast, it's not filling up very fast. So, and uh, I'm just glad you said that if we don't have 50 people go, you're paying for all those other tickets. I'm glad you said that. So, I'm just teasing you. Revelation chapter number one. Why study the book of Revelation? Why do people have a fascination with the book of Revelation? Why do some people avoid the book of Revelation? What is it about the book? And we're going to look at this stuff. The book of Revelation, it's a wonderful book. And as we study it, you're going to see a lot of great things. The problem is, not only is it a wonderful book, but it's a very misunderstood book. It's oftentimes misrepresented and really oftentimes misinterpreted too. And so we're going to do our best to go through this. And like tonight, we're only going through three verses. There might be a few times through the book of Revelation we do a whole chapter in one night. There could be. And there's going to be times we only do just a few verses. You'll see that as we go along. And so, but a lot of people like to study the book of Revelation. Then there are some people that's all they do is study it and nothing else. I would hope, my goal and my prayer, that as we go through the book of Revelation is that as we get done and get through it, that we would have a greater desire to tell people about Jesus. That's my desire because we are, let's be honest, church, we are living in the last days. But we've been living in the last days since Jesus went back to heaven 2,000 years ago. So he is coming soon. Say, when is he coming? I don't know, but he's coming soon. And it's a fact. The Bible is sure of that. And we just talked about that on First Second Peter chapter 3. We'll continue on that this coming Sunday. But tonight we're going to start looking at the book of Revelation. And we're going to dive in. Tonight's an introduction. So tonight you might be like, by the time we're done, wow, that's it? Yep, that's what it's going to be. It's going to be an introduction. I'm going to give you the background of the book just a little bit, and then we are going to look at a few facts about the book and dive into the first three verses. What I love when I think about this book, I think about John and what's going on in his life as he's penning these words. A friend of mine and someone that I know, he pastors in Yuma, Arizona. He and his wife went on a trip for their anniversary, and he was actually on the island of Patmos. It looks beautiful and nice today. That is not how the island of Patmos was back in those days. You've got to understand something. When you preach Jesus Christ, we don't suffer at all today. And that's where it's going to come, and it's going to get worse. And we'll, we'll see as we go through the book of Revelation a lot of things. And it's going to take a little bit of time to get through and get to that stuff and get to the tribulation. I'll tell you this, we're going to be looking at the churches, the churches that are mentioned there. Then you'll see some things about what takes place up in heaven, and then you'll see the tribulation. We really don't start talking about the tribulation until till chapter number six, okay? So we've got a ways to get to the tribulation time. And there's a guy riding on a white horse, but it's not the one you think that you want to be looking for. It's the other one, the false one, and that's what kicks off the tribulation. And so but we got a ways to get there. But don't let that scare you off because going through the study of, through the churches, the seven churches and the letters that Christ has for these churches, 
You'll see a lot of great things, truths for us today. And even you look, and I'm not one of those that, and I do, when I see, those were literal churches, literally, that letters were written to. But I also think you can look through the history of time and see different church ages. And if when we get to the church of Laodicea, if it does not describe the church of today, then I don't know what does. But you're going to have to wait till we get there to see that. When you look at the book of Revelation, there are four primary interpretations of the book. And everyone has their thoughts and their ideas when it comes to this book. The first one is, and it's the preterist inter- interpretation. And what this one is, what they say is, of this interpretation is, the events recorded in Revelation are historical records of the events of the first century. So the problem here is, their view requires the fact that Jesus has already returned to earth, and it ignores all the prophecy that's mentioned in the book of Revelation. I don't hold to this interpretation. The second one I want you to see would be the idealistic interpretation. Now, this would be a, a modern, a, a liberal church today. This is probably where they would stand on this one. And what they would say about the book of Revelation is that the, um, the, the Revelation's a collection of allegories and stories basically designed to depict the struggle of good and evil. What they say is that these are not real events, any of them. They're just myths and fables. And that's their idea there. And I would say tonight, I don't follow that interpretation either. The third interpretation is, and there are, you could break them down further than four. I'm just trying to give you four so we're not stuck here all night on different interpretations, okay? Number three is the historicus, their, their, their interpretation of it. And they see this book as a timeline of church history from the apostolic era down to this present day. But they consider most of the events to be past events. And so, and they would look at the church ages. Like, I am one of those. I will look at the seven churches, and I will give you when we go through there what I believe is the time frame for each of those going forward. But I also want you to know that past Revelation chapter number 4, Revelation 4, the rapture takes place. That's, and you'll get the breakdown of this later, but you see from chapter 3, Jesus at the end of chapter 3 basically says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man, turn to chapter 3, the end of it. I just want you to see this before we go further into things tonight. And look at the end of chapter 3, verse number 22. It says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. And look at chapter 4, verse 1. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately, where was John in the Spirit? He was in heaven. And we see what takes place in heaven during the tribulation time. Chapter 4 and chapter 5 show us what takes place during the tribulation. Then look at chapter 6, verse 1, and then we'll go back to where we are. Chapter 6, verse 1 says, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. 
And I saw him, behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. That is talking about the Antichrist and the kickoff of the tribulation. Because Jesus comes on a white horse, right? And he's coming to conquer, and the devil does his best to have a counterfeit for everything the Lord does. We will go through, there are a bunch of, there's a pale horse, a black horse, all those horses. We'll talk about those horses when we get there. We'll talk about all the, all the bowls of judgment or the vials of judgment. We'll talk through all of that stuff, but we're not there yet. But a histor- there, the, the historical interpretation is that this, most of these things have already happened because we're at the last of the church age. Now, do I believe that the churches there represent church? I do. You might say your name be like, I don't. That's totally fine. It's not going to make or break your salvation. And it's okay if you disagree with me on some things. I know I'm right. You know, you can know later on that you're wrong. And we'll all be fine later on when we deal with it. And then you got, fourthly, you have the futuristic interpretation. And this is what I hold to. And it's that the book of Revelation is mostly prophetic in nature. This view takes a literal approach to the interpretation. I am a firm believer that for the millennial reign of Christ that Jesus will be here on earth and it literally happens. I'm not an amillennialist. I'm not any of those things. I believe that it's going to happen. I believe that what the Bible says, I take it literally. You will also see as we go through the book of Revelation, not all of it is all prophecy forward. Some of it, chapter 12 in that range, there's a dragon chasing a woman. I think that's really referring to Jesus when he was born. And we'll talk about that when we get there. There's a lot that we'll get into. I'm trying to just spark your curiosity a little bit because in a few moments we're just going to go baseline with this for the next several weeks and then the stuff that will get you later on that you want to hear will be coming. I will tell you this, America is not mentioned in the book of Revelation. You say, well, why not? Is it not going to be here? I've heard people say it's going to be completely gone. I've heard lots of different ideas. But at the end of the day, the idea of America and what America has stood for all these years has to be out of the way for the one world government and the one world currency that's going to be here. And Babylon, from the very beginning to the very end, that, that, what happened to the Tower of Babel? They wanted to make themselves like God, and they're building a tower to God. And this world, that's what's gone on for always. It's going to continue. Men are going to try to be as great as God. That idea of Babylon, that's what you hear mentioned a lot, which we'll get to. But we believe that most of these things are prophetic in nature, and that it's a, we take a literal view of what the Bible says. Just a little background about the book. I believe it was written around 95 A.D. by John the Beloved. And uh, John wrote a few other books in the Bible, didn't he? He wrote the book of John. That was good right there, right? He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And Revelation. And so, when we think about this, this was towards the end of John's life. And... uh, we used to have, John, you remember when we used to have a bunch of Johns in church? We had like five different ones, and I had St. John, 1st John, 2nd John, 3rd John, 
John the Revelator. And so you had all the different Johns there. Now we got a John and a Juan, and John had, and all that, so I got to try to keep them not confused on different things or see them driving vehicles similar and things like that now and think different ones are showing up at different times and it's the different one. But anyways, and they, and they both, both, both John and Juan are good. They, they can talk too, both of them. So they have some similarities there just a little bit. And they both cause some mischief too. There, there's some similarities there. So, but John... Legend tells us and history would tell us that he was preaching the gospel, and he was, and that they tried to kill him. The way they tried to kill him the first time was, is they tried to basically fry him in oil and burn him up. He didn't die, and he kept preaching the gospel anyways. So what they did with him was they took him and banished him to the island of Patmos by himself to rot and die there. This is what they figured. This was the idea. If we can't shut him up, we will place him in a place where no one will ever hear from him again. That was the idea. Now, Now, I know some of you think being deserted on an island would be a wonderful thing. Right? Oh, it'd be so nice. Just like Gilligan's Island. That's all make-believe. That's not how it works. You don't get, where did they get all the tools to make all the stuff, the huts that they did on, you know, oh, it was on their boat. Their boat had a big hole in the side of it, right? And look at how Gilligan was. But anyways, we don't need to go down that road tonight. But when we look at this, this was an awful place to be. And I love the fact that they wanted to shut him up and let no one ever hear from him again. And he gives us one of the greatest books in all the world, the close to the scriptures. But could you imagine how lonely it must have been being on the island there by himself? Can you imagine how he must have felt? I don't think his body was completely healed from being trying to, be, to fry him to death. You know, every time, I, and sorry, I'm not trying, but I think of John every time I put something in my cast iron skillet and cook it. That's what they tried to do to him. And he didn't stop preaching. And we in America, oh, they're going to find me. I'll stop preaching. I'll be quiet. They're going to find me. They're going to find me. We, we have no, we, we, we're, we're such, we're so weak today. We are. And someday we're going to have to stand for what's right. It's going to come. So you better get ready for that. But I could just picture John being there, thinking he's done, just waiting to live out his last day. We look at here, and we look at, before we get to these verses tonight, the title of the book is The Revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, when you think of revelation, that's where the word apocalypse comes from. Um, And the idea is an unveiling. We'll talk more about this here in a couple minutes. But it's the unveiling of Jesus Christ is what the book is about. The key verse, if you're there in Revelation chapter 1, it's verse number 19. Look at what the Lord tells John here. He says in verse 19, Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. Literally in verse number 19 of chapter number 1, 
you have the three-part outline to the entire book of Revelation right before your eyes. What we have is, number one, we have the things which thou hast seen. In chapter 1, John tells them what he sees. He's seeing Jesus for who he truly is. So God tells him, write the things that thou hast seen. Number two, the things which are. And the letters that were written to the churches, the things that are happening there. And then, number three, write the things which shall be hereafter. And if you noticed, when we read chapter number four, it says right away, it says, and I will show thee what which must be hereafter. And chapter 4 through 22 is all of that. So you literally have, in verse 19 of chapter 1, the entire outline for the entire book of Revelation. And so, with that in mind, and as we get here, just a couple other tidbits, and some of this stuff probably doesn't matter to you, but there are a lot of old, it is tied to the Old Testament quite a bit, did you know that for, there are 404 verses in the book of Revelation? And you say, Pastor, I don't know if that's true. You count them later on and tell me if there are 404. There are 404 verses there. 278 of them refer to the Old Testament in some way. Because the whole Bible is tied together. And in all reality, you have the book of Genesis, the book of the beginning of everything. The beginning of Satan and how he, what comes to pass. The beginning of sin. It's a book of beginnings. And what you have in the book of Revelation, you have the conclusion to it all. You have God making everything right. That man messed up and what sin messed up and God making it right by the very end. And so as we dive in tonight, we're just going to look at a few thoughts tonight. And we'll get to our outline here. Let's read chapter 1, verse number 1. The Bible tells us, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants the things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified this by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. As we look here tonight, I'm going to give you a quick outline, and we'll be done tonight. Number one, as we dive in, we see, first of all, is the book of, Re the book of Revelation is about Jesus Christ. That's literally all that it's about. I say, well, what about, all the, what about all the prophecy? What about all the end times and all the different things that happen, all of that? The book of Revelation is about Jesus Christ, literally. It says the revelation of Jesus Christ, or we could call it the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, I want you to understand something tonight. Jesus Christ is the theme of the entire Bible. Do you realize that tonight? It is about him and everything about him. Everything in the Bible points to Jesus in one way or another, from the very beginning till the very end. And you know, you say, well, the book of Revelation, well, what about the prophecy? What about all of this? It's all about the unveiling of who Jesus Christ truly is. You see why we need this book? Because letter A, when he came the first time, he was veiled. 
The world did not see Jesus for who he truly was. Jesus was not a baby born in a manger, but he was. You can't, think about in the Old Testament. Remember how David said, I want to build a house for God. And God, the gist of basically, you can't build, there's nothing you can build for me to be in. You know why God doesn't want graven images and people to make images of him? Because there's no image to contain the glory of God. He is far greater than any image could ever be. There is nothing that we could ever create or produce that would come to be like the Lord. But what did Jesus do when he came? He put on flesh. He covered himself. Philippians 2 verse number 5 tells us, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but look what it says, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Do you know that if the world were to have seen Jesus for who he truly was back in the gospel times, back 2,000 years ago, they never would have crucified him. He never would have been crucified. If they would have seen him for who he truly was, well, this is the thing. He said who he was. He proved who he was. You don't have to see it always. Isn't that what we want? We want to see everything. We want everything right before our eyes. And they literally had Jesus right there, the Son of God, and they missed it because they were looking for something else. Sometimes we look at life and things happen, things go on, and the Lord's right there in the midst of it, and we overlook and we miss the Lord being right there in the midst of it. And we're no, we aren't much different than how they were in those days. But do you know there was a time in the book of John, and is it, and is it in John? No, Matthew chapter 17. There was one time that three of his disciples got to see him for who he truly was. Not all of them saw him. But three of them. Look what the Bible says in Matthew 17. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. And Peter just always had to say something. If thou wilt, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. Peter, James, and John got to see Jesus for who he truly was. The veil was removed on the Mount of Transfiguration. But no one else got to see that. They saw a baby crying in a manger. They saw a man hanging on a cross. They saw a man as who they saw. 
because he was covered. He came as a lamb to be slain. But I want you to know, letter B, that the next time he comes, everyone will see him for who he truly is. They're not going to see a baby born in a manger. They're not going to see Jesus hanging on a cross. They're not going to see these things. They're going to see Jesus for who he truly is. When he comes again, he's not coming to die for us. He's coming to be King of kings and Lord of lords. He's not coming to be a suffering lamb. He's coming to be the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's not coming in poverty and in shame. He's coming in power and in might. We think about those things. He is coming again, and when he does the whole world's going to see him for who he truly is. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 1, verse number 7, it says, So that ye come behind in no gifts, waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that word coming at the end there? For the coming is the same word as the word for revelation. Waiting for the unveiling of our Lord Jesus Christ. Say, why do they call it the word coming there? I didn't didn't translate the Bible into English, so I'm not going to try and guess why they used it in different places. That's not my job to figure out. I'm not that smart, and that's above my pay scale, okay? We'll just leave that one there. But the word coming there literally is apocalypse. It's about the unveiling. Number two, the next verse I want you to see is 2 Thessalonians 1.7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with the mighty angels. The word revealed there is that same word. 1 Peter 1, verse number 7, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and the glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Can you get what the word appearing there is? The same word. And then we look at Revelation 1, verse number 7. It says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. He is coming again. And everyone will see him for who he truly is. And when we think about those thoughts, and we think about the fact that as he comes again, what's really happening is that God is fulfilling the promise he made to Jesus. Because he made him a promise. You know, if we were to continue on in Philippians chapter 2, verse number 9, it says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, Jesus came to this world. He gave up. He put aside his deity. He put aside those God traits that he had. And he put on flesh. Which something for God to put on flesh, that should just totally mind-boggle us. That God put on flesh. That God limited himself and yet was still God. You know, remember how that passage, Jesus said only the Father knows the hour when he's going to return? 
I'm going to give you a little Brianology here, okay? This is Brianology. I don't give you Brianology very often. But when Jesus came to earth, he limited himself, right? Is he God? Is Jesus God? Does he know all things? I don't think he knew it while he was here and limited himself. When he ascended back up into heaven, he knows. That's my personal belief. Because he's God, he knows all things. He limited himself while he was here. He put on flesh. And the Bible says that Jesus humbled himself and that God would exalt him someday. And he's coming again. And the world, the world missed it the first time. There are a few that got it. And thank God for the few that got it. But most missed it. And today there are many that miss it, but there are the few that get it. But someday, no matter who it is, what governor it is, what president it is, they will all confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Allah will admit that Jesus Christ is God. Joseph Smith will admit. Gavin Newsom will admit who God really is. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so you see, the book of Revelation is all about Jesus and showing us who he truly is and that day of the Lord that's coming. But number two I want to talk about tonight, what's the purpose of Revelation? What's the purpose of the book? Well, look there in verse number one. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, why did he give it? To show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. So we see, what's the purpose of the book of Revelation? Letter A, are you ready? It's written to God's servants. Guess what? It's written to you tonight. Would you say that you're a servant of the Lord? I think we would, right? So the book of Revelation was written to us from God telling us what's going to take place. We're all his servants. Aren't we his servants? I hope you're the Lord's servant. After all he's done for you, why wouldn't you want to be the Lord's servant? I love the fact out of all the names the apostles could pick when they gave their titles in, the, in their letters, you always see a servant of Jesus Christ, top and center. Paul over a servant of Jesus Christ. He labels some other things later on, but he always starts out with being a servant. But the book was written to servants to do what? Letter B. To reveal things that must shortly come to pass. Now, this is where I want you to get it. You know, some people, they hear, we're doing a series on Revelation. This is the stuff that's coming real soon. That's the same thing they said 2,000 years ago. It's been coming soon for a long time. But we're going to be looking at on Sunday the fact that one day with the Lord is as a thousand here, right? It's a little different. But the book of Revelation is written, the purpose of it is written to God's servants to show us what's going to happen in the future. And when we look at that, if you look at that phrase there where it says, the things which must shortly, that word shortly, the word there is um, T-A-C-H-O-S. 
which literally means quickness and swiftness. It's where we get our word taxi from. You need to get somewhere in a hurry. You might, ta- you might wave a taxi down, and then the way they fly around and do things like that. And so, literally, the book of Revelation is all about Jesus Christ, and the purpose is to let God's people know what is coming. It's literally what it's for. With that in mind, and as we get to the end here, we see lastly tonight, number three, we see God's promise about the book of Revelation. We know in verse number two, we're going to talk more about John probably next week or in the next couple weeks. But we look at verse number three, look at what it says there. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and those that keep, or and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Do you see what God promises there? He promises a blessing, doesn't he? You see that right there? Blessed is he. Now, this is where you have people say, God wants to bless us. God's going to bless us. Do you see there's a condition to the blessing that comes here? It's conditional. God's promises are conditional. There are things that need to be done. So what's supposed to be done? First of all, number one, it says you've got to read it, right? God's promise here about this blessing is he that reads it. And that's talking about reading it. So blessed are they that read it. So listen, as we go through here, and we, did we read three verses tonight? We be, we're reading it. That's part of how to get the blessing from this book. It starts out by reading it. Then look at what it says. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy. They that read it, those that hear it being read or hear it being taught to them, that's part of it. Tonight you're being taught from it. You are hearing it, you're reading it, and you're hearing it. But we're not only supposed to be hearers of the word, right? We're supposed to do it. Which thirdly is they that keep it. They that keep it. Those that take God's message to heart and something with what God has for us here. You notice there are many people that start studying the book of Revelation and they read it and hear it, but then they do nothing with it. That's not where the blessing is promised. The ble- your blessed are you that read it, that hear it, and live it. Why? Look at what the Bible says there. For the time is at hand. We're getting close to that time. God says here, the end is near. Read it. Hear it. And keep it. If you're not going to read it and hear it and keep it, there's really no need to keep coming to the Bible study on it. I think it would do us well when it comes to church in general. You can hear it, and you can read it, but if you're not doing it, there's really no point to it. We're just checking a list off. 
The Lord is coming soon. And there in your notes, where are my notes at? Look at those last two verses there. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3, and we should have put verse number 8 up there before that. We're going to be here on Sunday morning. Verse 8 says, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And verse 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We're going to talk a lot about that Sunday morning. But the fact is, it's not going to be long. And the very next verse says, But the Lord's going to come as a thief in the night. He's coming. It's getting close. It's been getting close for a long time. And I'll tell you this, we are closer to it today than what they were 2,000 years ago when God gave it to John. What's the book about? It's all about Jesus. It's showing us who Jesus truly is. Why do we need the book? Well, God wants his people to know what's going to happen at the end. And God promises to bless us if we read it, we hear it, and keep it. Simple little outline, but we'll get more next week. Father.